with our scripture reading today from Psalm 2. And our message today is entitled, Christ in the Psalms, Jesus Reigns. This is Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heavens, in the heavens, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. The beauty of meeting together in church is the beauty of seeing God's spirit in action. When we are on our own trying to fight the fight to grow our faith and to remain, to be remain faithful in the Lord, it is often very difficult to do so. For when we are alone with the Lord, we often see more of our failures than we see God's faithfulness in our lives. It's human nature for all of us not to see the grace of God. It's more human nature for us to see our failings in all things. But when we gather together as God's people and we hear the stories of how God is moving in our lives, as we see and watch people love one another, as we see in the midst of our struggles that Jesus is still present, we get encouraged. We see Jesus alive. And we are once again energized, brothers and sisters to follow the Lord in obedience to him. I pray that in our gatherings here together, that as you look around the room, as you figure out who's, who's watching online with us, that you will see people just like you and me. And even though it might be easier for you to see what's worse in yourself, Many times for all of us, it's easier to see the good in other people. So see the good that Jesus is doing in one another and encourage that more than anything else. Today in our message, we continue in our series on Christ in the Psalms. And we're looking at Psalm chapter 2. And we're seeing that this psalm, just like Psalm 1 and just like the entire Psalter, all points to Jesus and Jesus himself. 
We learned last week that to read the psalm simply from a, a personal perspective in and of itself is a good thing. But when we take the shortcut too quickly to read scripture as if it was only about me and for me, we will quickly, quickly misinterpret what the Bible truly is about. For in, order, for, for, for in order for us to apply scripture well to our lives, we here as people of the Christian church, we must first and foremost see how does Jesus fulfill the Psalms or how is Jesus represented in the Psalms. For when we fall in love with the Jesus that we see in the Psalms, then we can apply the Psalms in a way that gives life to us. And I say this because we have to remember Psalms is not only a book for the church. Psalm is also a book for the Jewish people, for the Israelites. They read the Psalms as well. And they get encouraged, but in a totally different way. For they do not recognize Jesus as the Savior, as the Son of God. And in many ways, there will be some overlap in terms of how we apply it. But we as Christians, when we read the Psalms, we have to see the triune God at work, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then and then only do the Psalms really speak to us as Christians. And we know that in Christ, in Christ alone, is there only power to change people like you and me. And so we turn to the Psalms and we ask ourselves the question first and foremost, how is Jesus represented here? And when we have feasted on that, then we can turn to, okay, in that knowledge, how am I comforted with these very words that I'm reading right now? Now, Psalm 2 is a Davidic psalm. If we read this psalm, we, we see that something is happening, that, that David is seeing nations plotting against his kingdom or the kingdom that God has given to him, the nation of Israel. Kings are plotting to take over their place. And if we look at the history of Israel, we, we see that they're always fighting against the Gentiles. We see even an establishment of the kingdom. We, we see the Babylonians, the Persians, and, 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 and all these, uh, and the Syrians, and all these peoples trying to take Israel, the Egyptians as well. The nations are trying to take over. And the Israelites have confidence, though. They know that the God in heaven is simply laughing in derision at anyone who thinks that they can stand up to God and his anointed, to anyone who thinks that they can stand up to God and what he is doing to King David and to all the kings that follow as well. Who could stand up to them? And the people of Israel sing this psalm 
as their nation is surrounded with full confidence that their God in heaven will bring about salvation. And then they flip the script. They, they say to the nations out there, you guys be careful because our God in heaven will judge you. You serve the God who has placed our king here and has given this nation of Israel. You be careful how you speak. You be careful what you do, for you will be judged by our God in heaven. Now, right there and then, you can see just if we left Jesus out of it, how we can use this psalm in many, many different ways that aren't necessarily unbiblical, but are incomplete. This psalm has been read in, in, in many synagogues. This psalm has been read in, in, in many places in present-day Israel to justify their reason to be the nation that they are. We, as God's people, when we look at this and when we read this, there are some interpretations that see this and say, well, one day God will restore the nation of Israel to the Christian people. That there will be a king again one day. That there will be that land again one day in present day Israel. For surely God will not give up this land. Surely the God will himself place his anointed one in Israel once again. But that's not how we read this song. In fact, if we follow that interpretation strictly, without looking at the whole canon of Scripture, and more importantly, without looking and how the, old, the New Testament uses this passage, then we've missed out on what the scripture really is for. And this is important. Think of it this way. When you were little, you learned the alphabet. A, B, C, D, all the way to Z, right? You learned the alphabet. And let's say you grew up. You still know the alphabet. But the only way that you understand the alphabet is simply in multiple choice tests. You think the purpose of the alphabet is simply to figure out A, B, C, D, and E and make your choice. But that's the only use. That's, not, that's the only purpose. If you thought the alphabet was simply to sort of signify choices that you made, if you met someone like that, you realize that they have a, a misunderstanding of what the alphabet was for, but also you'd feel sorry for them because they do not understand the fullness of what you can do to express language, express ideas. 
when we read the Old Testament or when we read the Psalms or anything in such a way that we miss the fullness of it, it's, it's like doing that. It's like we're playing checkers instead of seeing the fullness of what God is doing in history. And it's only seeing how Christ is fulfilled in this that we get the full import of Psalm 2. If you have your Bibles with you or your apps, that's fine as well. Open up with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 25. Acts chapter 4, verse 25. Now, what had happened was that... Um, Excuse me. <coughs> was that Peter and John were, were brought before the Jewish council. And this is after the Holy Spirit had came down upon them. And, and Peter and John were, were preaching the word of God, saying that Jesus was the Messiah. They were healing people. And all of a sudden, thousands and thousands of people came to know Christ. And the leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were saying, what is going on? What is going on? All these people are coming to know this, this guy named Jesus, who they say resurrected from the dead. All of a sudden, people are, are preaching the gospel in, in, the, in the language that we can hear and understand, but these are uneducated men. All of a sudden, overnight, people are, are being baptized and following Jesus. All of a sudden, people like Peter and John, who are uneducated, are speaking with such fluency about who Christ is and what he's done. And when, it was, when they were brought about the council, the, the, these, the, the council was confused. What's going on? Who are these people? And when they saw no reason to hold them, they were released. And then when Peter and, and John were came back to his disciples, to the, to the people around him, they quote Psalm 2. They found in Psalm 2 the appropriate interpretation in light of Christ of how to speak and they say this, right? Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? That's verse 1. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And once again, if you want to hear last week, whenever someone quotes just the first verse or the first and second verse of a psalm, it does not mean that they're only quoting the first and the second verse. It means they're quoting the whole psalm. That's how the Jewish people did it. When you quote the book and say, I want to refer to the book of Genesis, the word Genesis comes from later on, basically in the Middle Ages. Someone gave the name of the book Genesis. But the Jewish people, they refer to it as in the beginning which is simply the first phrase of Genesis. 
And so the people here are saying, this psalm is about Jesus and his reign. This psalm is about the gospel of Christ that is coming, that is going forth in the world. This psalm is about the message that we are sharing. Psalm 2 is simply about the fact that you and I as God's church, that there is nothing that can stand against the church of God. When John and Peter were going forth sharing the message of God, when John and Peter were going forth telling people that Jesus is the Savior, when their opposition against them, John and Peter had the utmost confidence of knowing that this is what happens when the gospel has come to light. That there will be opposition amongst us. That there will be mockers and scorners around us. That people will think that we are fools. That people will either to your face or silently deride you in the faith that you have. And these early believers are just sort of echoing Psalm 2 saying, this is just what happens. This is the reality of the Christian church. This is the reality of what God is doing. And as we go on in the psalm, the, 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 the early Christians understood that the anointed one, it's not David, but the anointed one was the perfection of David, which is Jesus himself. That Jesus is the king that, that they were all waiting for. That is his kingdom that the Lord has set up. That he is the son that this psalm is referring to, who he has loved. And that Jesus' reign, no one can overcome. It is to Jesus that all the nations are given. It is to Jesus that every knee will bow. It is to Jesus that all glory will be given. This early church in Acts, it must have been an amazing time to live. To see the rampant growth of the church of God. And to see Psalm 2 come into existence right before their eyes. People conspiring. Yet the presence of the gospel and the presence of Christ being seen so clearly. Men and women and children repenting of their sins, being baptized left and right. People being healed and understanding and seeing that the power of God is reigning today. Lastly, a warning. Oh, Sadducee, oh, Pharisee, oh, government, Roman government. Be careful what you say and how you say things. 
you will be judged one day. For us as a body of Christ living in the world that we live in today, we look upon those who mock God and our hearts weep for them. Be careful, world, what you say about Jesus himself. Be careful, world, for God's kingdom will come and God will reign. You and I, brothers and sisters, when we read this psalm, we need to realize that this is actually the world that we live in. Let me say this again. This is the main narrative. This is the prime paradigm. This is the only history that matters. This is the only interpretive framework that matters. And we are all living within that framework. And the more that we understand that, the more that we can live a life in light of God's grace and life and God's glory. If, you, if we follow Jesus, we will suffer with Jesus. God promises that. So if, you're living, if we're living our lives under the kingship of God, trying to obey the Lord at every turn, you will suffer. But you will suffer because you are trying to follow the Lord. People will conspire against you, but you're trying to follow the Lord. Your hope is in knowing what? Is in knowing that God is watching you, not anyone else. God up on high will bring judgment on all people. But we know that God up on high has given us his king, Jesus, to reign over us. Truly and beautifully. And when we submit to him, we know that everything in the world will be will come to pass in a way that will benefit us for our faith and our love for the Lord. And lastly, we look around us and we understand that there are people who will, these, these mockers of God, we're not there to judge them. But we're here to warn them. Hey, this Jesus that I serve, please, just take a look. Take a look and understand who Jesus is and what he's done.
and overall as we follow the Lord and as we see this play out in our lives. People mocking us, we trying to serve the Lord, God giving his grace and we understanding his kingship in our lives. We warning people, we being mocked over and over again for the gospel of Christ when God's grace grows in us. When that paradigm is paramount in your life. Everything else will start to fall into place. In your lives, your, par- your paradigms and your life stages change. And the older you get, the more you realize that the next paradigm isn't any better than the previous one. Being a child, you're like, oh, that's, that's the best time. But you look back, it's like, no, being a child was not the best time. Maybe when I get to college, well, you know, these kids look at the college students and like, wow, these are older people. It's like, you're in college, like, no. After college, you go to work, no. Perhaps you get married, No. It just goes on and on. You enjoy all of those things. But I'm telling you now that God's kingship in your life is where you need to start because that is where God starts. Praise be to our Lord. We know that nothing can overcome our God. CCPC, in our lives together, let's be bold. Share Jesus with one another. Share Jesus with friends who do not know the Lord. Do it whimsomely, but do it. Offer up prayers for them. Tell them you're praying for them. And let the world say what the world will say. For God cannot be mocked. And we as God's people, we are here as his instruments to spread the good news. Let us pray. Lord, you reign wherever. You you reign in all places, Jesus. There's not one square inch in this entire universe, invisible or visible, where you do not say, it is mine. And we are grateful, Lord God, for anyone else who who may claim to have possession of anything in this world. We know that they can only destroy it. But you, you God, you alone are good. You, Jesus, you alone are good. And you own every square inch for your glory and your glory alone. And although the nations may rage, the nations may say, no, it belongs to me, we know that that is false. For every heart, every soul belongs to you. Help us as your people, Lord God, to recognize that and to give ourselves to you fully. Do not be afraid of the repercussions of this world. 
but instead to serve you wholeheartedly. For we know, Lord, that oftentimes we hold on to these things in this world that we think are as valuable, and yet what awaits us is something even beyond our imagination and riches if we simply let go of the things of this world and grab onto you. We thank you, Lord God. You alone are good in all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.